going to get into the message that I have. I don't know, the second service every week, it seems like I look up and I get started at 12, and I feel like it moves quicker. It, anybody else? I, we have a couple that stay for both. Does it feel like this one moves quicker to you? I look up, I'm like, this one is done, and I, I'm not exactly sure why, because there's things I want to share with you, and I don't always feel like I get to, but I'm going to anyway, because you need to know these things. These things are amazing. Talk to Gary Heine this week, and he wants you to know they were able to get all of the Christmas gifts, not only for every one of the children at Samuel's house at the orphanage, but all of the house parents, as well as all of their staff, he said, with what Faith Chapel gave, we were able to purchase Christmas gifts for 50 different people when it comes to the children, the house parents, and the staff. He said, also, we have already sent, uh, we purchased some things here um, that they've been able to sh get into a shipping container that is already on the way there. And he said, we have the finances that we need to also purchase in the middle of poverty and chaos. You guys know the story. In the middle of everything going on in, in, in Venezuela, he said he wants Faith Chapel to know they will eat, the, the orphanage and the staff and the team are going to eat like kings and queens for the week of Christmas. He said, just let them know. He said, it's going to be amazing. Um, and they uh, literally, everything, they were able to purchase not only clothing and presents and gifts, but generators have gone out that they didn't have the parts for they, uh, in Venezuela. They've been able to purchase the parts here, batteries here, other things that were absolutely needed. All of it ships out tomorrow on Monday, and it will go straight to the farm to outside of Caracas. So we not only, God used us for Christmas, but he used us for daily needs. So I'm just, I'm proud of you, and it's amazing. So thank you for your generosity. And Pastor Gary said, they will be there at Christmas this year. They're flying down. They'll be with them. And he said, we will take pictures and we will get them back to Faith Chapel so you guys can just see what's going on there. So isn't that good stuff? Isn't that good stuff? Very grateful. Also, uh, Nolan, Sharon, Kenny have a grandson that was born yesterday. So many of you know, isn't that awesome? So... Many of you know Greg and Becky. They've been with us the last few years at our ladies' conference. They came to, Becky had her little boy earlier this morning, Jesse Blake Chapel. Jesse Blake Chapel. Uh, influence of Jesse and Blake. I tried over and over again to get them to go with Riley Chapel, and they refused. I don't know why. I tried. Um, they were hoping for a girl, and they were going to name her Faith. Faith Chapel. I said... I'm like, why would you do that? He goes, because you guys have all the merchandise already. He said, you can give us coffee mugs, travel mugs, T-shirts. He's like, she's set for life. So he's like, we're hoping the next one will be Faith Chapel. Just save us all of your old apparel. I'm like, all right, that'll be great. So, so we love that. We love what God's doing. It's just good times. We love it. And he is a gorgeous little boy. I've already seen pictures. He doesn't look like a peanut. He's really kind of cute. All right, so just to let you know. All right, so I had something else, but it slipped my mind, and I probably ought to get into this anyway. Last week, we started a two-part series on spirit and scripture, and let's, rather than me ramble, let's just get right into the takeaways, and that way I can move along more quickly. 
these are the four things that we mentioned last week. So I want to just remind you of them, and then we'll move into the new stuff. Number one, the scriptures help us to know the right things, practice the right things, and uh, to um, equip others with the right things. Listen, I'm not saying that the scripture is only about us getting it right. I, I'm not saying that. But we also understand in the kingdom of heaven that God is sovereign, God is in charge, but we need to partner with his sovereignty. We need to align ourselves. We use this language at, Lock, at Faith Chapel. I need to align myself with God's will. I need to be a participant, a partaker, and God's word helps me to do that. When I spend time in his word, I can go, oh, wow, there's his will for that situation. I can discover it. It's good moments. Number two. The great, ability of, uh, great availability of God's word magnifies our responsibility to God's word. How many of you are living in the United States right now? Okay, just about all of us. Thank you. How many of you are other places right now? And you could share that with us later. You're, we have so many opportunities. I mentioned last week, grab your phone, open your Bible app, read translations, paraphrases, it's teaching galore, click on YouTube, there's great teaching, there's poor teaching, it's all out there, it's all available, um, but we've heard stories of, I remember when I heard about, we, they always called it the underground church in China, not that they were necessarily buried, but they were hidden because of persecution that they were facing, churches that for years only had a couple of chapters of the book of Psalms, and that's all they had. In a church that, that they, they studied it, they memorized it, they passed it, they shared it, they all used it until they were able to get more because it was so difficult to get God's word. We have so many resources here. How many know that God's word also says, to whom much is given, much is required? We need to make sure that we're making the most of these opportunities. Number three, take away from last week. The spirit of the truth and the word of truth will protect us from the deception around us. Jesus said four times in Matthew 24, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name and deceive many. So we need the word of God and we need the spirit of God to help us protect, uh, from the, protect us from the deception in the world. And the last thing we mentioned last week, number four, the Holy Spirit can speak beyond what is written, beyond the scriptures, but it will never contradict the scriptures. If someone comes to you and they say, I've got a word from the Lord for you, brother, and they give you the word from the Lord and it's contrary to what Scripture says, guess what? They don't have a word from the Lord for you, brother. They've got a word from somewhere else. Sometimes it's from the pit. Literally, the enemy will use people to give wrong words to throw people off. Sometimes it's just from somebody's own selfish ambition or their own flesh. The fact is, people don't always get it right. There was a lady that visited in the first service today, and on her way out, she said, Pastor Brad, I felt like the Lord gave me a word for you, and she handed it to me. And I am very careful about words like that. Typically, when somebody hands me a word, I don't read it until after the second service, because if it's off and it makes me mad, I don't want to come up aggravated. But I started reading it, and I'm like, man, that is, that is a word from the Lord for me. That's powerful. But there's a lot of detail in it. You better believe I'm going to make sure this lines up against the scriptures. Because something might even feel right, but it doesn't mean it is right. Has anybody else's feelings got you off target before? How can it be wrong when it feels so right? You know what I'm saying? And there are times it might feel right, but it is wrong. 
And you know that that's just not, so we need God's word to line these things up for us. So that's what I said last week. Let's get into new stuff so that I can get it all done before 1230-ish. Okay, so let's look in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll give you just a couple of things. And as we're doing this and as you're turning there, I'm just going to say happy birthday to Isabel. Just like one of the sweetest, sweet, I mean, she really is sweet 16. She turned 16 today and really, really is sweet 16. We say sweet 16, but how many know lots of times we're saying that because we're trying to prophesy something good into somebody's life? But Isabel really is sweet. I mean, there's just no doubt. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And the other thing I just want to get out in the open here with us because we love each other. I'm over here a lot today because that feels really close to my head. You know, doesn't it just seem just a little like I could just be damaged at any moment? So I just want you to know, I, that's why I feel like the Chiquita banana woman that has the fruit on her. I feel like I should roll my shirt up and tie it and pop it out there. So, so I, Pastor Josh said, please don't. Doing that at the office is more than enough. You don't. You don't need to see it on Sunday. When you live with that Monday through Friday, there's no reason to see it on Sunday. But, uh, but if Tanya would loan me her earrings, we could make, make, it, we could make it work. Okay. Thank you for the triple espresso, by the way. I appreciate it, Taylor. Okay. Here we go. Do your best. I will, Lord. I will. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Last week we mentioned that Paul wrote his last letter um, to Timothy. This was what he wrote before he was executed for his, his walk with God. And we looked in chapter 3 where it says, study to show yourself approved. A workman who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth, right? And it, or, or excuse me, where it says, uh, do your best to present yourself. No, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we dug into that, that last week. Here's where he says, you need to do your best to really study God's word and you show yourself approved. And there's a reason why. And I'll just let you know, this has always gone on and it will always go on. There will be people that will come into the church world, whether it's into a service or a YouTube video or they'll put a tweet out, whatever the case may be, with the intention of deceiving you. Because the enemy knows that the truth does what? It sets us, and so deception brings us under bondage. And so there's always going to be deception opportunities. So we need to study to show ourselves the proof so that we correctly handle not the word of deception, but the word of truth. I don't know if you've ever studied anything about counterfeiting. Um, I spent, I got into this for a while and was like really studying it. Beth and I were going through a tight time. And I was just trying to come up with possible ways to get through some difficulties. And one of the things that, I, that if, you, if you've studied how the FBI studies counterfeiting, they actually study the genuine. They invest 95% of their time into the genuine. When they make the changes in what the $10 bill looks like, what the $20 bill, most of the time it's 20s, by the way, because that's the most commonly counterfeited. So if you're going to do it, you want to go for the big, once again, I'm getting distracted. But most commonly, it's the 20 that gets counter. They will, they will dig into that thing 
so that when somebody hands them a 20, they know what it feels like, they know what it looks like from every different angle with all the different marks, they know the genuine. I have people say to me regularly, have you heard about this teaching? Does this feel right to you? I don't want to fill my life with a bunch of garbage out there. I don't, when people, you need to go look at this person. I think they're a false teacher. Would you confirm it? I don't like to do that. I like to spend more time in the scriptures. And if you're diving into the scriptures and you're learning the scriptures and the Spirit's confirming it to you and you listen to someone, you're like, ooh, that just feels awful. You probably just had what you needed. You probably just had the Lord confirming to you, you know what, stay away from that. If, if they take the scriptures and they're going a complete different way than people that you are in relationship with and you walk in integrity with one another, you're holding each other up to accountability and you're like, that just doesn't seem right. You know why? Because it probably isn't. Spend more time in the genuine. And I'm going to throw this at you. Trust the spirit in you. You're sons and daughters of God. Trust the spirit in you. How many of you have been there? You, you've heard something being communicated, and you know that you know it just isn't right. And sometimes you can't even quite put your finger on it, but you know it's not, okay? It's because you're studying to show yourself approved. Now, here's the context of the passage. At that time, there were people going from church to church trying to bring up confusion about the resurrection. You see, Jesus had resurrected not long before this was written, and there, here was one of the teachings. It wasn't right. It's just one of the teachings they were doing. People would come into the local church and they would say, yes, there was a resurrection, but that's too bad for you because you're alive after the resurrection took place. The resurrection was only for those that were already dead before Jesus rose. And it was causing a lot of confusion. Paul even called it godless chatter. It was just a bunch of communication without the presence of God in it. You know what he said? He's like, it's like gangrene. How many know what gangrene is? Yeah, look, these are, there's great pictures if you want to look, look up images on Google. There's some great images. But basically, it's a loss of blood flow to an area. I'll just make it real simple. Loss of, and typically, it's the appendages, right? It's the outer areas. There's a loss of blood flow. And as that happens, you'll see literally fingers just begin to dry rot. Our toes begin to rot and eating away of the flesh because there's no good blood circulation there. I want you to know, when it comes to the body of Christ, it works the same way. The enemy will hit the appendages. You're, you're disconnected. You're not walking in relationship. You're not walking in accountability. You're more vulnerable. And lots of times, winds of doctrinal change and wrong scriptures, they will hit us, and he will try to use that. Paul said it's literally like gangrene. Man, I don't want that in the body. How do you know the body of Christ doesn't need any gangrene? This is a body that gives healing, doesn't receive infection, okay? So we want to be people that, that show ourselves approved. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. We'll spend most of our time here today. Matthew chapter 22, verses 29 to 33. Now, here's the context. This is toward the end of Jesus' life, and there were people trying to trip him up theologically. They wanted to, tri they wanted to trip up his theology. How many know what theology is? It's the study of God. Theo would be, isn't that the Latin? Theo would be, theos would be the word for God. So theology is the study of God. Now theology will break down into several different classifications. Have you ever heard of Christology? It's the study of Christ. Pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. Eschatology, it's the study of the end times. Um, actually, some people think that's escartology, which is the study of snails in France. And that's not what it is. 
Eschatology is the study of the end times. And throughout the church world, people love eschatology because we all think that we're in the last generation. And I hope we're in the last generation, but I want you to know every generation has thought they were in the last generation. We're in the current generation, that I can guarantee you. I can't guarantee you if we're in the last generation or not. I'll also tell you another reason that eschatology is a big one. You make a lot of money on eschatology. If you write a book about Jesus, it's hard to sell. But if you write a book about the end times and the burning up and the blood moon, you can make some money on that thing. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you my book on five easy steps to quality eschatology, and it will be released next month, and we can market it, make money, and pay off the new church building. Can I get a witness? So... And then I'm going to start my granite lord business, and that's a whole other thing. But they, they came up to Jesus, and they're trying to trip him up with his theology. Now, there were groups, you hear me mention them all the time. Have you ever heard of the Pharisees? The Essenes? The Herodians? The Sadducees? There are all these different groups. Just like in our world today, there's a bunch of different groups. And they all tended to focus on the thing that they liked the most. The Pharisees focused on the, primarily the five Old Testament books of the Torah, but they also brought in the prophetic books and they believed that they were anointed. The Sadducees only believed that the five, the five uh, books of the Torah were anointed. Just that first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They were the only ones they focused on. Let me tell you something else about the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Thus, they were what? Sad, you see. If you don't believe in the resurrection, it's very sad. This is an easy way to remember these things. So, in Matthew 22, the Herodians, who were supporters of Herod, and the Pharisees, who hated the Herodians, they got together. So how many know that sometimes enemies will come together when they have an enemy that they hate even more? So the Pharisees hated Jesus. The Herodians hated Jesus. They hated each other, but they hated Jesus more. So in Matthew 22, it's like the Pharisees and the Herodians get together. We read over that like it's no big deal. I would say it's like Sean Hannity and Bill Maher went out for a cocktail. It just doesn't make sense. But they got together. Why? They wanted to trip Jesus up. And they come to him and they say, hey, uh, there, Jesus, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You see, the Pharisees didn't believe it was lawful because they were supposed to be an independent nation, not oppressed by Rome. The Herodians, who were supporters of Herod, were supporters of the government, and they say, yes, you need to be giving your taxes to the government. So they're thinking, he's going to stir up a big fight, and he's going to get dismembered between the two groups. And Jesus says, bring me a coin, bring me a coin. Whose image is it? Well, it's Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what's Caesar, and give to God what's God's. And the Sadducees are like, way to go! Because the Sadducees hated the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, all these little arguments are coming up. Well, then the Sadducees have their big, their big case they're going to present to Jesus. Now, I don't know how many of you know this. Times were different then. Um, things were different. At that time, if a guy and a girl were married and they weren't able to have a child together, if the husband passed away, you know what Scripture called them to do? She would then marry the next brother. She'd marry her brother-in-law. Why? So that you could keep the name of the family together. It was a big deal to keep the name together. And so um, this particular story, the Sadducees come up and they say, hey, uh, there was this guy and he was married and he died and they didn't have any kids. And then 
his brother stepped up to the plate and married the widow, and he died and didn't have any kids, and the next brother stepped up and married the widow. How many are going to start asking about the widow? Is there a, I don't know, is there a poisoning possibility here that perhaps something is going on that we need to talk about? But the Sadducees said this was all the way through seven brothers. Seven brothers. And then they say, so uh, at the resurrection, whose wife is she? They're like, we're so smart, we got him. We are so smart. And Jesus answers them and he says, now remember, these are the religious leaders that are very proud of their knowledge. And here's how he starts his answer. You're in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. How you know they already loved him? They already, you don't know, you don't, you're in error, you don't know. The, these guys focus their entire life on knowing the scriptures. And yet he says, you don't know them and you don't get the power of God. At the resurrection... People will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. He makes the statement he's done. He's once again reminding us, you have an earthly view of heaven rather than the heavenly view of what heaven is. I mean, we've got to understand, guys, we don't see it right. I, Beth and I made a pledge to one another. We stood before witnesses. We stood before the Lord, and we said, until death do us part. How many know that I'm holding her to that? When we die, we get to part, baby. Right? We have, we've endured life together with love. We have made, but when, but we get to part, she's like, Brad, when we get to heaven, she goes, we're going to live in the same mansion. I'm like, I'm, as your pastor, I want you to know I'm more committed to honoring the principles of God's word than, because we're going to be like the angels. And she's like, no, you're going to have a room in my place. I'm like, I want my own place. She goes, no, I need you to take out my heavenly trash and to do my heavenly dishes. I'm like, but I want it to be heaven for me too, sweetheart, right? You, under, you understand, we all understand this. So it, Jesus just, he wants you to know, it's not going to be the way you see it now. It's going to be different in heaven. And then he gives him a little teaching. He says, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read where God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. The crowds were like, man, this guy has got it going on. Now, how many of you have ever read the scriptures? Good, about half. That's good for most local churches. Have you ever read the one where David, his son, died? In the, in, isn't it in First or 2 Samuel? I think it's 2 Samuel that his son passes away. And David makes this statement. He goes, um, I cannot bring him back, but I will go to him. Letting us know of resurrection. As a matter of fact, there are several scriptures in the Old Testament that in my opinion, I hate to correct Jesus, but in my opinion, do a better job pointing to the resurrection than this one does. So the question is, why did Jesus use this one? Let me remind you again, the Sadducees only believed the first five books of the Bible were anointed. They didn't believe that Samuel's writings were anointed. Jesus quoted from what they viewed as infallible, and he said, God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He didn't say, I was their God. He said, I am their God, because we need to be reminded, though we can't see them, they are very much alive in the presence of the King. He is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Come on, somebody, all right? 
He's the God of the living. So he reminds them that there is resurrection life. There is resurrection power. And it's all prophesied in the scriptures. The power of God. Think about it. When it comes to the scriptures, we need both an intellectual understanding and a spiritual revelation of them. There are people that have spent their whole life studying the scriptures, but they have no revelation. They used to call uh, seminary, cemetery. Because people were known for studying until the point that they lost their passion for the king. Listen, I want to study the scriptures, but I want the studying of the scriptures to point me more to my love for the one that gave me the scriptures. Okay? I need intellectual understanding, but I also need spiritual revelation. Let me give you three things when it comes to the scriptures. Let's see if we can do this quickly. The first one is this. When it comes to the scriptures, number one, ask Jesus to open minds. Take a little picture of these so you remember. When you're praying for your friends, you're praying for your family, you're praying for yourselves, these are some scriptural things that you can do to help yourself with God's word. Look, uh, Luke 24, 45, Jesus, it says of him, he opened their minds so they could understand the what? Scriptures. This is what is written, he said, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Let me ask you, Luke 24, I know it's random, how many of you remember where Jesus was when he, asked the, or when he, when he did this for his disciples? It's at the end of Luke. He's on the Mount of Olives. So when was he there? 40 days after his resurrection. So he had spent three years with them. He'd resurrected, spent another 40 days with them. And before he goes to his Father in heaven, finally it says he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Have you ever been reading the scriptures yourself and you're like, how come the disciples just don't seem to get it? You're with the living word and you're not understanding. They needed their minds open. I've, I've, I've seen people that honestly, they've come to church for years and you're like, Lord, open their minds. Open their minds. They still don't see it. Open their minds. You ever been there even? Have you ever read something? And you're like, oh, how come I've never seen that before? He opened your minds to understand the scriptures. This is one thing we can do. God opened the minds of people to understand. Let's go to the second one. Dan, we'll move it quick. When it comes to the scriptures, ask Jesus to open minds, number one. And number two, when it comes to the scriptures. Now take your time. He just gave me the wave. He's like, it's all good. I'm skipping a lot of notes. So we ask Jesus to confirm it in hearts. Once again, this is in Luke 24. I didn't go chronologically, though. We're going to back up. Jesus was walking on the road through Jerusalem with some disciples. And guess what? They didn't recognize him. What's our spiritual body going to be like? I'm not sure, but I guarantee you it won't be like this one. How you look in the mirror and you're like, Lord, I thank you that one of these days I'll have a spiritual body and it will not be this one, okay? We don't know exactly what it looks like. I will tell you this, and I, I share this a lot when we're trying to remind someone that we're going to a better place. If, if you gave someone an acorn and they didn't happen to know that an oak tree came out of that acorn, if you gave them an acorn, it does come out of an acorn, doesn't it? Yeah, okay, I just thought I'd verify you gave them an acorn and you said, hey, uh, what's this going to be in the future? If you, if you didn't know, you know, what's this going to be after it dies and comes back to life? 
I think lots of times, what's this going to be when it grows up? You might think small acorn becomes a bigger acorn. You don't necessarily think that it gets planted and out comes a, a shoot and a sprout in this tree that becomes so massive and large and just the fullness of that. It's, how do you, that comes from this. And God's word says, there's a reason I'm mentioning this. God's word says that we have an earthly body, but we're going to have a spiritual body. And it's almost like what you are right now is an acorn. I mean, you're some nice looking acorns, but you're just an acorn. But what you're going to be is so hard for us to put our minds around. And Jesus had his glorified body. He had spent three years with these guys. And after his resurrection, he's walking with them. They didn't even know it was him. There was something different that it wasn't until they went to eat together and he broke bread. And it says, then he, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the what? Scriptures. He opened the scriptures and our hearts were burning with that. We need to ask God, Lord, confirm your word to our heart. Confirm it to our heart. Uh, I, there's so many things that I could talk about here that I just find incredibly fascinating. But the scriptures that Jesus would have been talking about would have been Old Testament scriptures. And he said in the Old Testament, it pointed to him. He opened their minds to see that the Messiah would suffer and rise again. He walked, this is called the road to Emmaus. He walked on the Emmaus road with these disciples and he opened their minds to the scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, when's the last time that you went, you know what, I'm going to look through the Old Testament and I'm going to find the thread of the Messiah through all of this. Where it's prophesied in the Old Testament he would die and resurrect that he would give his spirit. We need to find these things. They build us up. They strengthen us. Let's go to the third thing that I have, Dan, for today, the last thing. When it comes to the scriptures, ask Jesus to increase our passion for them. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, Paul says, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to what? The scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to what? The scriptures. Which scriptures? All throughout the Old Testament, it prophesied. Give us a passion for that again, Lord. To dig in there, to learn it, to grow it, to understand it. Now, with that said, let me give you a, kind of three practical takeaways underneath this. Jot these down. These will help keep you walking in accordance with the Spirit and in accordance with the Scriptures. Okay, so here we go. Practical suggestions for studying scriptures. Number one, youth, you're going to love this because you all hate it when this happens too. Number one, understand the context of the verse or the passage. Let me ask you, have you ever been taken out of context? Has anybody ever quoted what you said and got you in trouble, but they quoted it out of context? I've had times where somebody has said, Pastor Brad said, and they were right and lying at the same time. Yeah, Pastor Brad said that, but Pastor Brad said that in this context. This, this is where that statement came from. Oh, okay, that makes sense. How many of you have ever been taken out of context? Isn't it frustrating? I wonder if the Lord ever gets tired of it. I know that he's patient in a way we don't understand, but you know 
you know there's some bad teaching that takes place in the church world. You know there are some times there's some angels up there going, that is not at all what you meant. And his eyes are like this flame of fire. I know. Give them revelation. Give them understanding. Be patient. They need to have their eyes open. They need to understand. I think we take him out of context. I've taken him out of context. Have you? I've taken him out of context. So when it comes to the scriptures and understanding them, take them in context. Don't just grab a verse randomly and have no idea where it came from or what it was about. You need to go, okay, because I, I know sometimes the Lord will give you a word. Have you ever had that happen where you like flipped your Bible open and the Lord spoke to you through a verse and you're like, that was for me. And he can do that because he's God. But I want you to know that's not typically the way teaching happens. In teaching, we, we read it together. We even did it today in Matthew 22. Jesus said, you're an error because you don't know the scriptures. So what did we do? I gave you the background to what was going on there so that we could have it in context. We need to take scripture in context. Number two, second suggestion, use scripture to help you understand scripture. How many of you have ever read some verses you simply didn't understand? It's, it's okay. I, I have it happen all the time. And lots of times, I'll look for key words in those verses, and I'm like, I'm going to find where those words are used in other verses, and it can help me. Or I'm not quite getting, I'll reread that chapter and go, okay, here's the context. I'm not quite understanding this. Why is he talking about perseverance here? Maybe I need to rediscover what perseverance means. And I'll look at some other verses. I'll use scripture to help me understand scripture. Last thing I have for today is this, number three. A concept must be in two to three verses to be considered doctrinal. How many know what doctrine is? How many don't really know what doctrine is? You're probably practicing it already, even though you don't know what the definition is. A doctrine, we could describe this way. Doctrine are the foundations that we stand on. How many know that your house has to have a good foundation? Has to have a good foundation. And if you don't have a foundation, when the winds come, that house isn't going to stand up. That's why Jesus said you need to build it on a rock and don't build it on the sand. It's the same way with doctrine. I mentioned earlier, Christology is the study of Christ. Pneumatology is the study of the Spirit. Eschatology is the study of, of the end times. There is so much study that goes into the study of the end times. But I want you to know, that's not really a foundational stone. The foundational stone is Jesus came, he lived a sinless life, he died on a cross, he gave me the authority of the kingdom, and he's coming back again. And there's no other name that's been given by which man can be saved except the name of Jesus. And that is all throughout the scriptures, and I stand on that. I stand on it. Pneumatology, the Holy Spirit is not just around me, the Holy Spirit is in me. There are numerous opportunities. That is a foundational stone in my life. The Antichrist is going to arise from the land of Iran. I don't give a rip. I don't care if he's from Iran or I run or I'm running. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Well, it matters. There's going to be an Antichrist. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with my salvation. Nothing to do with my desire to reach the lost. Nothing to do with me walking in the authority of the kingdom. That can just stay over here, and I'm not going to argue about the small stuff when I need to stand upon Jesus. Let me give you an example, and I'll close with this. There is a church sect, S-E-C-T, a, a certain church group that, I don't know if you know this, they baptize for dead people. Did you ever see the movie? I see dead people. They say, 
I baptize for dead people. You're like, what? Yeah, they do. They baptize for the dead. It would, it would almost be like David Blau. And I mentioned David Blau because not only is he a marvelous guy, but he's also the quarterback for the University of Purdue. I don't know if you knew that, that set a personal record against the Tigers three weeks ago. But anyway, David Blau is quarterback for Purdue. It would almost be like David Blau meeting Jesus and knowing that none of his family members that had preceded him in life knew the Lord, and David and Angel having this conversation. I guess marriage is for angels. No, sorry, anyway, so um, now that I think about it. But David and Angel, they end up in this conversation, and they're like, well, none of our family knew the Lord. Maybe, maybe because we've had a sincere encounter, maybe if we get baptized for those that came in front before us, maybe, maybe God would be merciful to them. And David's like, Angel, that's a great idea. It's an angelic idea, as a matter of fact. Let's go ahead and, and let's be baptized for our grandparents and our great-grandparents. Maybe it'll do them some good. Now, where would they even get that idea? Did you know there's a verse? I think it's in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Paul's writing the Corinthian church. And remember I told you that one of the things that happened at that time, people were constantly trying to destroy, destroy the resurrection. And they went to the Corinthian church and done the same thing. They're like, hey, there's not going to be a resurrection. It was only those that were dead when Jesus rose that come back to life. There's no hope for you. All right? And they're destroying them. And Paul writes the Corinthian church, and he goes, wait a second. What do you mean there's no resurrection? Jesus rose, and he was seen by 500 people at the same time. When Jesus rose, he went into a room and he ministered to his disciples. When he rose, other saints of God came out of their graves. There is no doubt that there was a resurrection. As a matter of fact, if there's no resurrection of the dead, why are you being baptized for the dead? What? I didn't know that was going on. Paul, how many know that he was a Pharisee before he accepted Jesus? Did you know that? Pharisees were trained to argue points of view from the scripture. Paul used that in a lot of his writings. When you read his letters, he's, he can really wrap a good argument around someone. How many you know that when you argue, you come out with your strongest point and it tends to get weaker? Paul, being led of the Spirit, was arguing for the resurrection. Jesus rose. 500 saw him. Others saw him. The apostles witnessed. And he's going through the strong argument. And then he throws this thing at the end. It's like at the weakest point of the argument. If there's no resurrection of the dead, why are you baptizing for the dead? The Corinthian church had done what David and Angel Blau did. They had met Jesus and they thought, oh no, our family members didn't know about this. Grandparents that had died, maybe we can be baptized and they can be resurrected. There's nowhere in scripture that says that it's possible. Nowhere. There's nowhere in Scripture that says it's the right thing to do, but they came up with that idea, and I'm sure Paul dealt with it when he went to Corinth. He wrote them two times that we have, First and Second Corinthians. He also wrote them a third letter that we don't even have. He refers to it, and we didn't even get to see it, because how many know the Corinthian church was messed up? And he was constantly trying to help them, and I'm sure he dealt with it, but here was his point. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then why are you baptizing for dead? In other words, he was using their behavior to expo exp uh, uh, expose to them, you're behaving a certain way, and yet you're denying the resurrection. Those two things don't make any sense. You know what happened? There was a, ch a church sect that grabbed that verse, by the way, out of context, without using Scripture to interpret Scripture, 
and one time, and they made it a doctrine. And they said, we will baptize for the dead. As a matter of fact, that church has been huge in ancestry research in the United States. And they actually have some of the most lucrative companies when it comes to researching your ancestry. Why would they do it? Well, if you research your ancestry and you find out great-great-grandpa wasn't a believer, you can pay what's needed and get baptized for him. Okay? If we're not careful, we can take anything in the Bible that's in there one time, and if we take it out of context, and we don't use Scripture to help us understand it, we can make a doctrine on something that was just supposed to be a statement that made a small point and you moved on. Pastor Brad, are you saying that all of God's Word is not important? Not at all. All of it is important. It's really important to keep it in context. It's really important. All of it's important, but doctrinally, I'm not going to baptize for the dead because I understand the context of the passage, and we've got a whole movement that are leading people astray for the wrong reason. Okay, this actually impacted my own family. My grandmother, her first husband died in World War II. And she had a friend that reached out to her and said, he wasn't a believer, you need to be baptized for him. And my grandma said, you know what, I think our friendship isn't going where it's supposed to. Because that's not the way that it works. So I'm done. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Um, I challenge you, Faith Chapel, we want to be people of His Spirit, but we want to be people of the Scripture. And would you put the last verse up, Dan, that I, I shared this morning, and I'm going to read this while we're standing, in John chapter 7, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up in front of the crowd, and in a loud voice, He said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from him. You know, part of our culture at Faith Chapel is to remind ourselves that from our own belly, from our inner man, rivers of living water flow. Is there an experience involved with that? Absolutely. Is there biblical support for it? Well, it was shouted in a loud voice by Jesus, and it says, as Scripture has said. Let me give you another one. Why don't you go ahead in the Old Testament this week and find out where Scripture says, from your own inner man, rivers of living water will flow. Amen? Lord, we want more of you. We want more of your spirit. We want more of your presence. We thank you for what we've given, you've given us. And we want more. We thank you for what you've imparted to us, and we want more. We thank you for your word, and we ask for more. I pray that just like we looked at today, open our eyes that we can see the scriptures. Open our minds that we can understand the scriptures. Increase our passion for your scriptures, because we also recognize that the more encounter we have with your scriptures, the more we encounter what you have in, for us in your spirit, and we want all of it. We want all of you, all that you have available. So God, we just commit ourselves to being people of the spirit, and we commit ourselves to being people of the word. We will walk in both of them. And now, God, 
I ask that you would bless your people, you would anoint them, and you would empower them with more of yourself and give them revelation of what they've already read and they've already studied. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.